Good morning, everybody. What a privilege to be up here, not in my normal role of being a host, but this is exciting. And it's so nice to be able to um, make connections with people, even though we're not in the room. So you are so welcome. And I hope that this morning that God just speaks to you through the tiniest amount of this talk, that there's something in it that you can relate to and you can just feel the presence of Jesus where you are. So let's crack on. As you might have guessed, because Vicky and I are both very excited about um, Joseph, Joseph is the man of the day for me. Now, when I got the message from Chris Kay asking to do um, a summer talk, about a Bible legend, I wasn't quite sure which one to choose. And then Joseph just came to my head. But on top of that, I didn't know what my why was. Why had I chosen Joseph? I knew it was Joseph, and I knew it had to be Joseph. I knew that I loved the story, and it had significant historical, um, had historical significance for me in my life, because like Vicky, I'd been to see the musical and had grown up with all of that jazz in my life. But actually, the story has been significant for me in my life in this current season. And I think Joseph will always be of significance. You see, growing up in the late 80s and 90s when the Andrew Lloyd Webber musical was hitting it across the West End, it was full of colour, comedy, it was just glitz and glamour. And, oh, the dream coat, the Technicolor dream coat. I mean, I was a bit disappointed this morning that nobody had provided some kind of stage thing for me to come out into the audience with a big dream coat, but, you know all sorts of budgets and things, and probably just not really appropriate. Um, but this dream coat, this brilliant, ostentatious, this festive, flamboyant dream coat, it just blew me away. And probably, if I'm honest, I got wrapped up in the stuff around Joseph rather than actually the man himself. In fact, it was actually Jason Donovan who was playing Joseph when I went to see Joseph. And I tell you what, if Kylie Minogue had been in it as well, that would have been a complete joy for me at that age. So I was invested and I was hooked. And this story became more of my life when in year six, um, I had the pleasure, I think, of playing Potiphar's wife. Now, this isn't the most wholesome character that I could have been in the year six play when I was at school, but I was chosen to be her, and I tell you what, it was much better than when we redid it when I was in year seven at secondary school and I was cast as the angry goat. Because that costume was made of hessian and I think probably it had a smattering of loft insulation in it. It was very uncomfortable and itchy. But the story of Joseph, for me now, is so important because I can relate to him. You see, Joseph had a dream from God as a young person. And instead of beginning to walk out that dream and have an amazing life with God-filled experiences, he actually got into his car in the game of life, obviously this is figuratively speaking, in the game of life, and then he had some t detours. He ended up in Mousetrap, and then he ended up in Connect Four. And finally, we find him in a random monopoly and thrown into jail. And I think probably if I was Joseph, I'd have held my hands up and said, yeah, enough's enough. I don't know about trusting God anymore. I can't do this. Now, 
Well, I have never been sold into slavery or thrown into prison. I've had my life go in many different directions. And sometimes it's felt seemingly the opposite direction to the thoughts and the dreams that God planted in me as a young person. Now, when I planned for this talk, I read through Joseph's story and I really asked God what he wanted to reveal to me. So I'm very privileged to be able to do the talk for you today, but I just thought, God, what, what do you want to show me through this? Because there's no point standing up here doing a talk if it doesn't actually resonate with me and I don't leave after doing this talk slightly different. Did he want me to talk about encouragement? Did he want me to talk about hearing from God? But actually, in this process, I realized that I discovered three new things about Joseph. And whilst discovering all these things through the dysfunction, the drama, and the imprisonment, the accusations, I realized this story is simply about faith. This story, in all its grandeur, is about simple faith. Now, you'll be glad to know I'm not reading the whole of Joseph's story because it actually covers chapter 37 to 50 in Genesis. So we won't be doing the whole story, but I am going to read to you from Genesis 37. To set the scene, I'm going to go back to Sir Andrew Lloyd Webber and is Tim Rice a sir? I think he might be. Way, way back, many centuries ago, not long after the Bible began, Jacob lived in a land of Canaan, a fine example of a family man. Jacob, Jacob and sons, depended on farming to earn their keep. Jacob, Jacob and sons, he spent all of their days in the fields with sheep. Now, Jacob was the founder of a whole new nation, and that's thanks to the number of children he had. He actually had 12 sons. That's quite a lot, isn't it? He was also known as Israel, but most of the time, his sons and his wives used to call him dad. Jacob, Jacob and sons, men of the soil, the sheaf and crook. Jacob, Jacob and sons, a remarkable family in anyone's book. Now, if you've got a Bible at home, the reference will also come up on Church Online and on Facebook. But we are going to Genesis chapter 37, verse 1. Joseph's dreams. So Jacob settled again in the land of Canaan, where his father had lived as a foreigner. This is the account of Jacob and his family. When Joseph was 17 years old, he often tended to his father's flocks. He worked for his brothers, the sons and the wives of Bela and Zilpah. But Joseph reported to his father some of the bad things his brothers were doing. He's going to be a bit of a dobber. Jacob loved Joseph more than any of his other children because Joseph had been born to him in his old age. So one day, Jacob made a special gift for Joseph, the most beautiful robe. But his brothers hated Joseph because their father loved him more than the rest of them. They couldn't say a kind word to him. One night, Joseph had a dream, and when he told his brothers about it, they hated him even more. Listen to this dream, he said. We were out in the field, tying up bundles of grain. Suddenly, my bundle stood up, and your bundles gathered round and bowed before mine. His brothers responded, 
as brothers probably would. So you think you'll be our king, do you? Do you actually think you'll reign over us? And they hated him all the more because his dreams and the way he talked about them. Soon, Joseph had another dream. And again, he told the brothers about it. Listen, I've had another dream, he said. The sun, the moon and the eleven stars bowed low before me. This time, he told the dream to his father as well and to his brothers. But his father scolded him. What kind of dream is that, he asked. Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and growl, no, bow on the ground before you? But while his brothers were jealous of Joseph, his father wondered what the dreams meant. Soon after this, Joseph's brothers went to pasture their father's flocks at Shechem. When they'd been gone for some time, Jacob said to Joseph, Your brothers are pasturing the sheep at Shechem. Get ready and I will send you to them. I am ready to go, Joseph said. Go and see how your brothers and the flocks are getting along, Jacob said. Then come back to me and report. So Jacob sent him on his way, and Joseph travelled to Shechem from their home in the valley of Hebron. When he arrived, there was a man from the area who noticed him wandering in the countryside. What are you looking for? he asked. I'm looking for my brothers, Joseph replied. Do you know where they're pasturing their sheep? Yes, the man told them. They'd moved on from here. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. So Joseph followed his brothers to Dothan and found them there. Joseph was then sold into slavery because when his brothers saw him coming, they recognized him in the distance. And as he approached them, they made plans to kill him. Here comes the dreamer, they said. Come on, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns. That's like a big hole in the ground, maybe with water in. We can tell our father a wild animal has eaten him, and then we'll see what becomes of his dreams. But when Reuben heard about their scheme, he came to Joseph's rescue. Let's not kill him, he said. Why should we shed any blood? Let's just throw him in the empty cistern here in the wilderness. Then he'll die without us laying a hand on him. But Reuben was secretly planning to rescue Joseph and return him to his father. So when Joseph arrived, his brothers ripped off the beautiful robe he was wearing. They then grabbed him, threw him in a cistern. Now the cistern was empty. There was no water in it. Then, as they were sitting down to eat, they looked up and saw a caravan of camels in the distance. I love that, a caravan of camels in the distance coming towards them. It was a group of Ishmaelite traders taking a load of gum, balm and aromatic resin from Gilead down to Egypt. Judah said to his brothers, what will we gain by killing our brother? We'd have to cover up that crime. Instead of hurting him, let's sell him to the Ishmaelite traders. After all, he is our brother, our own flesh and blood. And his brothers agreed. Told you it was a long one, so I've just got a little bit more to go. So when the Ishmaelites, who were Midianite traders, came to Joseph's brothers, came by, Joseph's brothers pulled him out of the cistern and sold him to them for 20 pieces of silver. And the traders took him to Egypt. Sometime later, Reuben returned to get Joseph out of the cistern. When he discovered that Joseph was missing, he tore his clothes in grief. Then he went back to his brothers and lamented, The boy is gone. What will I do now? 
Then the brothers killed a young goat, that's why the goat was angry, and dipped Joseph's robe and blood, dipped Joseph's robe in its blood. Then they sent the beautiful robe to their father with this message. Look at what we found. Doesn't this robe belong to your son? Their father recognized it immediately. Yes, he said. It's my son's robe. A wild animal must have eaten him. Joseph has clearly been torn to pieces. Then Jacob tore his clothes and dressed himself in burlap. He mourned deeply for his son at that time. His family all tried to comfort him, but he refused to be comforted. I will go to my grave mourning for my son, he would say, and then he would weep. Meanwhile, the Midianite traders had arrived in Egypt, where they sold Joseph to Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, the king of Egypt. Potiphar was captain of the palace guard. So, this was the first thing I learned about Joseph, that Joseph's pain was the key to his greatness. How many times in our life have we been through painful times when we feel like we can't do anything we can't see beyond that painful time and when reading about Joseph he goes through pain after pain after pain but this was part of God's plan for him you see one day Jacob gave Joseph a special gift the fancy robe this robe was beautiful it was ornate it probably had long sleeves and it was probably the kind of robe um, to suggest grandeur that would have gone down to his ankles and in comparison his brother's robes probably would have had short sleeves and they probably would have been made of burlap and these robes that the brothers wore would have been made from these things enabled to let them get on with their manual labor But by giving Joseph the elaborate full coat, which was also a sign of nobility at that time, his father was implying, you, my son, can wear this beautiful coat and you don't have to work like your brothers. No wonder they were hacked off. I'm guessing this coat wasn't the first gift Joseph received. You see, he blatantly had favour poured over him by his father. He was likely to be spoilt and mollycoddled his whole life until that fateful day that he lost his father's favor and blessings. You see, his brother's jealousy built up and eventually overcame them, so much so that they threw him into that pit and sold him into savory. Talk about a bad end to a spoilt childhood. But once Joseph belonged to the foreign people who paid for him, his days of favour were well and truly over. It says in verse 39 that the Lord was with Joseph. So he succeeded in everything he did as he served in the home of his Egyptian master. He was at his pain point, but still God was with him. Still God was just there and he was succeeding at the things he did. But Joseph learned how to work because he no longer had daddy around to sort him out. And the beauty is that in his pain, Joseph learned how to work and he worked hard. We see Joseph developing his God-given gifts, gifts of administration and leadership, and they just started to bloom. It says in chapter 39, verse 6, that Potiphar gave Joseph complete administrative responsibility over everything he owned. 
That's a big job. That's a huge responsibility. And Joseph learnt these skills, these God-given skills that God had put in him because of his pain. We continue to see Joseph's hard work and his gifts developing as he became in charge of the prison that he was in and eventually in charge of Egypt. In the end, it was God's given gift of administration and oversight that God used to save Joseph's family and the whole nation of Egypt from starvation. I wonder if he would have developed those skills if he'd stayed being the chosen son at home in his fancy robe, or God actually had planned for this pain to come and for Joseph to learn who he really was in him. There is no mistake that God uses our darkest, most painful moments. We have to let him use us where we are. He isn't interested if we're not firing on all cylinders. He isn't interested if we're in a pit of desperation. He'll use us where we are. He just wants to be in relationship with us. The current season for you may have been painful, lonely, costly, stripped you of identity, but God was there. When your world was spinning out of control, he was always in control. God works in so many ways, large, small, subtle, kick you up the bum, jump out and surprise you, but he's always there. Had he never had the hardship of being sold into slavery, he never would have tapped into that gift and consequently never would have saved his family. So, second point. Joseph reached out to others in his darkest time. You'll be surprised to know how much your story impacts those people around you. The amount of people that I talk to when I'm at work at the Beehive who say, oh, well, I'm not that interesting. And, oh, it it drives me nuts because everybody's interesting. And the, the stories that people tell me have an impact on my life because our stories connect us. Our stories develop relationship. Joseph's life seemed to be filled with setbacks on the surface, but in fact, every situation matured him, tested him, and utterly set up the dominoes for God to use him in abundance. Now, one of these major setbacks was when Joseph found himself in prison. One day, he received two new cellmates, Pharaoh's chief baker and his cupbearer. Now, since Joseph was responsible and skilled and had shown these different gifts, he was ultimately placed in charge of these prisoners. And having that kind of authority, Joseph could have easily lorded that over them. He could have easily have manipulated the situation and been rude and disrespectful. But instead, we see Joseph as kind and compassionate, acknowledging others' feelings and reaching out to them. Can you imagine being wrongly accused of something and thrown into jail when actually all you're trying to do is serve God faithfully and honestly? There are probably some other prisoners in there, those prisoners who'd actually done bad things. And Joseph didn't sort of say to them, well, you know, I'm in here and it wasn't woe is me because I'm in here and I've been wrongly accused. I mean, my first instinct would have been to say, you've got nothing to complain about. I shouldn't be here. But not Joseph. He reached out and basically offered himself as a shoulder to cry on. Then not only did he listen to their distress, 
He offered to solve their problems by interpreting their dreams. The Bible doesn't tell us for sure how long Joseph was in prison, possibly 10, 11 years, and that's a long time. This was a a big delay. And I found this quote from V. Raymond Edmund that says, delay never thwarts God's purposes. It only polishes his instrument. Thwarts, that's a great word, isn't it? It means preventing someone from accomplishing something. You see, Joseph was an instrument. And during this delay in prison, during this time, again, he was able to polish his gifts of listening to God and interpreting dreams. But this delay didn't just mean that Joseph was able to be there and help others. It developed his faith. It enabled him to push more into seeking God and, in the end, have immeasurable impact for the people of Egypt. You see, faith is the very first part of how we start our walk with God. And then it sustains us and it nourishes us and it encourages us to be in relationship. Faith is definitely two ways. We're not told it's going to be easy in our walk with Jesus. And as it says in Corinthians 5 verse 7, do that. For we live by faith and not by sight. That's hard to get your head round, especially coming out of this current season where things have been bombarding us and we're watching the telly and we're seeing all these different things and some people are saying, God, where are you? But everything starts with having faith. And my final point, that Joseph didn't try to push his own agenda in his life. So after Joseph interprets the baker's and the cupbearer's dreams, he asks the cupbearer, who he knew would probably be promoted once he'd come out of prison and gone back into his job, to remember him and to help him get freed from prison. Joseph reached out despite his suffering. So it seems right, doesn't it, that he should receive a reward, that the, um, the guy should go and talk to Pharaoh and say, this Joseph guy in prison, he shouldn't be there. But once the cupbearer was fully restored in his job, he forgot all about Joseph. And Joseph actually remained in prison for two more years. I bet it was really tempting for Joseph to try and manipulate and scheme and try and you know, get messages out to remind him, hey, come on, mate, you, know, you need to go and tell Pharaoh. But in contrast, he used that time to get closer to God. We know this in the way that he acted next. Because two years after Joseph had interpreted that dream, the cupbearer finally, bing, did remember Joseph when Pharaoh needed somebody to interpret his dream. And finally, Joseph was brought out of prison and able to help share his God-given gifts with someone in authority. So Joseph interpreted Pharaoh's dream about the forthcoming prosperity and famine. He told Pharaoh that he thought what he thought the best course of action would be. And it says in Genesis 41 verse 33 that Pharaoh should find an intelligent and wise man and put him in charge of the entire land. Joseph's suggestions were all well received by Pharaoh and his officials. So Pharaoh asked his officials, can we find somebody else like this man? If I were Joseph, I probably wanted to shout, pick me, pick me. But Joseph didn't. Joseph was capable of doing this job, and he'd do it really well. But because he was experienced and gifted at it, he kept quiet. 
He didn't promote himself or try to prove that he would be the best at this. Instead, he sat back and God promoted him. Only by his grace and outside of any of Joseph's own efforts. Sit back and God promoted him. So Joseph was released from prison and put in a place of high authority, bringing all the glory to God and not himself. So many of us have read this story over and over again and marveled at just how much God brought justice and blessing to him. Looking at Joseph more closely whilst I was preparing for the talk and actually analysing his actions, and in some cases, as the not-pick-me, the lack of action in in certain circumstances, we can see a shining example of one of God's most loyal servants. And God saw him as worthy of being promotion to the calling he had. You see, God saw something in Joseph and reached into the mess time and time again. Joseph's story during this season, I think, is more important than ever. I've asked myself this question over and over during lockdown, which personally, mental health-wise, I find quite difficult. And it's pushed me to my limits. But what effect does living in faith have over my life? Before doing this talk, this is where I was. It's not easy, it's messy, it's tough. It doesn't give me the obvious answers I want to see. But as it says in Colossians 2, verse 6 and 7, And now, just as you accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord, you must continue to follow him. Let your roots grow down into him and let your lives be built upon him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. So I ask myself that question again. What effect does living in faith have on my life? I am rooted My life is built on truth. I have abundant love. My walk with him is deepened. I get to depend on his provision. He restores me. I depend on him and not myself. And my faith, my faith causes me to love him more deeply, to depend on him fully as I see him working in my life. Because my faith causes me to see. To see him working in my life and my circumstances just as he did for Joseph. And God sees you. He knows you. He loves you. And do you know what? At this moment, right now, he's offering to reach into your mess and give you so much more. He invites you now to say to him, yes, to take that first step of faith over sight. Like Joseph, there will be highs, there will be lows and all in between. But I promise, promise, promise you that a life with God will bring you technicolor Your dreams will be bigger than you can ever imagined and you'll be loved by a father who knows exactly where you are heading. So if you want to know now that God's going to reach right into your mess, I just invite you. I invite you to step into faith now and say yes to him. So I'm just going to pray as we wrap up and... Then, when I finish praying, we're going to be done here. But if you want to jump over onto church online, there'll be people there who are willing to pray for you. People who don't need to see your mess, but people who would love to just build that bridge of a relationship between God and you. So, if where you are, if you want to say yes to Jesus now, I would just say, put your hands out. 
because in giving all our mess away, he gives us so much more. So Jesus, I just thank you that you are a God of sight. I thank you that you are a God of vision and a God of wonder. And I just ask now, Lord, that you bless us, that you just, your presence just comes around wherever we are. And if this is your first time and you want to say yes to Jesus, you can just say these words with me. Jesus, I say yes. Come, jump into my mess and show me the technicolored dreams that you have for me. I love you, God. Amen. So thanks for joining us and we hope to see you at something soon. Thanks for listening to our podcast today and we hope you enjoyed it. For more information, visit ashfordvineyard.org or maybe drop into something if you're nearby. In the meantime, have a great week and know just how loved you are.